0: Come, ladies and gentlemen, to true restoration. Here is your host. I'm your host, Nicholas Wansbutter, and on this show, as always, I'm joined by Father Bernard Utley, OSB, formerly a monk from Christ the King Abbey in Coleman, Alabama, but now a pastor of Our Lady of Victory Church in London, Ontario, Canada, but still a, very much a Benedictine priest. Uh on this show we uh usually over the course of two hours will discuss various uh items of interest to the spiritual life, practical applications and uh all the foundations that uh, one needs to build up uh the Catholic spiritual life. And uh today we are gonna be discussing uh, divine providence and uh what our attitude should be towards that and uh, how we should uh, incorporate the knowledge of divine providence and trustful we'll surrender to that and uh, it's uh, we've had a bit of a break but it's great to be back and father uh, thank you for uh, for rejoining us on the spiritual life oh thank you for having me again now uh this show is actually um available for free to everyone uh thanks to a very generous sponsorship and a donation from a, a group of faithful in Australia who wish to remain anonymous, uh, other than saying where they're from, and we're uh, deeply, deeply grateful to them for their sponsorship. And uh, and I hope that our uh, listeners uh, find it uh, very profitable to uh, be able to listen to this show. And, of course, uh, other shows on the network, however, uh, are available uh, as a la carte purchases. They can be uh, newer episodes can be bought for about 2 or $3 each, depending on the show. Or uh, we'd encourage uh, listeners to look into uh, rece- uh, getting uh, access to the, the full range of the shows that we have, uh, getting a, a membership. Um And uh, you can go to uh, truerestoration.org or uh, restorationradionetwork.com and go to the member area. And on the menu there, you'll find details on how to become a subscriber. And our Platinum Monthly members slash subscribers uh, have access to to all the shows. So um, with all that said, without any further ado, uh, Father... Perhaps you can lead us into tonight's topic.
1: Okay. Um, in this episode, I, um, I'll i be departing from my ongoing commentary and have a use of Father Edward Lean, although he's still an excellent author. And I've had many people tell me that uh, because of these uh, uh, episodes on the spiritual life and my use of Father Lean, they've purchased uh, books by Father Lean and are really impressed with his work. Um But today, I wanted to move on to other topics that aren't really covered in his books at all, or if they are, they're very briefly covered. And today, I wanted to deal with a topic that is a personal favorite of mine and has been for many years, namely abandonment to divine providence. And over the years, I am continually brought uh, back to this subject of divine providence as being central to the spiritual life. And... um, and that it has power to affect a tremendous change in one's spiritual life. And and this is something that I have witnessed in many people who I have discussed this topic with at greater length. And this topic may seem uh, at times to be a little theoretical, but uh, I think it's eminently practical. Uh, One of the most um, practical things that we can know in the spiritual life, uh, how divine providence works, and uh, the importance of abandonment to divine providence i think knowing about divine providence really unlocks a key into the mystery of of life and the trials of life and um it can give us great peace of soul i'm not going to going to talk about every aspect of this topic you know that would take many many hours whole books are dedicated to the subject but i will give the basic principles and point out some of the practical applications uh for our spiritual life. And in fact, I have quite a bit of material on this topic, I, I, enough for, for two episodes. Um, and so we'll continue it uh, next month as well. Um, there are several classic authors on the subject of Divine Providence who I will quote and comment on through today's talk. Uh, I wanted to first introduce a few of these authors. First, there is, I think, the most famous and greatest author on this topic is uh, Father Jean-Pierre de Cassade, uh, a Jesuit. He is one of the most remarkable spiritual writers of the Jesuit order in France in the 18th century. He died in 1751 at the age of 76, and in his various duties as a priest, one was as spiritual director for a convent of visitation nuns. Uh, to these nuns he wrote many spiritual letters and each and every one he emphasized the importance the absolute importance of abandonment to divine providence it's almost uh to every single problem that was presented him the solution was ultimately always the same trust in divine providence abandon yourself completely Uh, god knows what he's doing with you trust him so it's always divine providence and he expounded this practice uh the virtue of trust in god really as a master of the spiritual life. Um, he also wrote a, a great book on prayer. Uh, this book is a little rare and hard to find uh, and has largely been forgotten, although it is available. Um, but he is most well known for a book act that he actually never wrote and which came out 110 years after his death, and it's called Abandonment to Divine Providence. And I say cassay didn't write this book uh, as a book, but this book was compiled and edited by a Father Ramier, a Jesuit priest, who took Descartes' spiritual letters and boiled everything down and summarized his doctrine, Descartes' doctrine, into a treatise on divine providence. So for anyone who has read this book, Descartes didn't actually write it, but it does ac- accurately give his doctrine, but not in the, the fresh style of his letters. I, I'm not a huge fan of the treatise, although it is excellent, but I am a huge fan of Decaus' actual spiritual letters. Um, Tan Tan, uh, did reprint uh, both the treatise and the letters in a a, um, paperback, and I highly recommend this book. There are older hardcover editions too, uh, but they're getting a little harder to come by. But I definitely recommend uh, his book. Another author... Who has written excellently on this topic is uh, one of my favorite spiritual writers, Abbot John Chapman. And there is only one spiritual book attributed to him, and that is a collection of his spiritual letters as well. And the book is called *The Spiritual Letters of Dom John Chapman*, who is a Benedictine abbot of Downside. Now, this is one of my all-time favorite books, top five, I think, for sure. And he is one of my, as I said, my favorite spiritual writers, and. Uh, If we can call him that, because he didn't write anything else other than these letters uh, in the spiritual uh, uh, top subject. His letters uh, are so practical and fresh and insightful that one can go back to them over and over and get more and more out of them. And the two doctrines or subjects uh, which Abbott Chapman is especially excellent on is his teaching on contemplation. Uh, more specifically, the transition from meditative, effective prayer to the beginnings of infused contemplation, which St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the senses. And in my opinion, Abbott Chapman deals with this subject the best of any author I know, and this will be the subject of an upcoming episode. Eventually, I want to get into that transition to contemplative prayer, because so many people, uh, devout people, are on the threshold of contemplation, they don 't even know it because they 've never been taught about contemplation they don 't know the signs uh, the three signs that Saint John of the Cross gives us to know when one can safely transition to the prayer of contemplation uh, but Abbot Chapman deals with it so well so this has been a favorite topic of study for me for about eight years now, and i I look forward to doing a whole episode on that subject but today we 're dealing with divine providence, and this is something that Abbot Chapman also does so well in explaining in in a practical way. Uh, He admits that he has been highly influenced by Descartes Aid, and he really looks up to Descartes Aid as a master of the spiritual life. Abbot Chapman is just so good at bringing the spiritual life down to the practical, uh, real life of us ordinary people. Because sometimes the spiritual life is made to appear quite complicated, but it is really simple in practice, in principle. So... um, In this episode, I will mostly quote De and Abbott Chapman. Uh, I will uh, heavily rely on them. But let me just briefly list several other authors um, who have also written well on the topic of divine providence. Uh, St. Francis de Sales uh, deals with divine providence in his great treatise on the love of God. Uh, Being that St. Francis de Sales co-founded the Visitation Order of Nuns, Uh, who became the spiritual director of a convent of visitation nuns not too long after St. Francis died, was himself highly influenced uh, by the doctrine of this great saint and doctor of the Church, St. Francis de Sales. Uh, St. Alphonsus de Liguri uh, wrote a little but influential pamphlet called uh, Uniformity with God's Will, uh, it is said that this subject was especially dear and important to St. Alphonsus. It's one of his favorites. Another author is Abbot Vital Lahody, O-C-S-O. He's a Trappist abbot. He wrote a book called Holy Abandonment, which became a classic in its day, uh, a standard. Uh, there's also Blessed Claude de Colombier, uh, with Father Saint-Yoran, Trustful Surrender to Divine Providence. And I think that's the one you were referring to when we had our conversation before, yeah. right? Yeah,
0: I was going to say, I'm glad you mentioned that one because uh, uh, that that's probably one of my top five favorite mm-hmm. books of all time. And it's one of, it, it's fairly short. It's 120, um, mm-hmm. some 130 pages. Um, and, and that's one that I, I've i reread probably more than any other book, actually. Certainly more than any other um
1: Catholic book. I've read that the most. Yeah, I've heard the same from other people. Um, I'm not sure if I have actually read the whole thing. Um, I was looking in my library. I couldn't find it, uh, so I don't even know if I have it. I have seen it, and I've looked through it, but I'm not sure if I've read it cover to cover myself. But um, yeah, that is a, supposed to be another, you know, excellent treatise on it, although, you said, as you said, it's uh, fairly small. Mm-hmm. There's also another book that... Um, quite a few people have heard and, and read, or, uh, is um, Heliotropium, uh, which means turning to him. It's a uh, uh, subtitle, Turning to Him, by Father Jeremiah Drexilius in 1920. Can reprinted that one, too. Um, so I, I think that's made the, made the rounds. Uh, Father uh, Garigou Lagrange wrote a treatise on Providence. It's almost like a spiritual reading book. It's not too deep uh, um, or too uh, scholarly. So, you know, the average person could uh, really benefit from that book. Uh, another favorite of mine is Father Joseph Shrivers. Uh, he wrote a book called The Gift of Oneself. Uh, Tan reprinted that book as well. And you can still get some hard co- covers. That I highly recommend The Gift of Oneself. Beautiful, uh, beautiful spirituality. Absolute trustful abandonment to divine providence. Uh, Another book is Father Gerald Van, uh, Dominican priest. uh, His will is our peace in 1947. So, I mean, I'm sure there's many other books, but those are the ones that uh, I'm uh, familiar with. There's also one more called My Father's Will by Father McGarigal, and I will be quoting him as well. but like I said, I'm going to principally use Descartes and Abbott Chapman. Um, so I hope I hope uh, some of our listeners will be able to purchase some of these books. They're all excellent. Everything you know that I've listed are excellent. But especially Descartes, if people are able to get that and to read Descartes' letters, his spiritual letters. Now his his letters are for you know most of them were written to uh, nuns uh, who were quite advanced in the spiritual life. And some of the topics may be a little bit above m- most of us. I would say myself, you know, I'm not at that point. Uh, um, they're talking, you know, but there's principles involved in all the letters that apply to everyone. Ultimately, you'll get some good out of reading his letters. Um, and also with Abbot Chapman and his spiritual letters, which is reprinted, uh, you'll find on Amazon.com. And,
0: and okay. So- sorry, yeah. just quickly, fortunately, I'm just looking on 10 books. And um, fortunately, uh, they do still sell things other than uh, propaganda pieces about how wonderful Jorge Bergoglio is. Um, The the Father uh, Dick Hoss' uh, book, self Abandonment to Divine Providence, is available on there. It's kind of pricey, $30. But they they have that. They have Trustful Surrender to Divine Providence, which is only $6. And they've got uh, the Father uh, Gergou Lagrange, Book uh, Providence mm-hmm. God's love and care for men and the need for confidence in mm-hmm. Almighty God and that's twenty dollars. And they've also got uh, the uh, Saint Alphonsus Liguri, um mm-hmm. little pamphlet that that uh, that uh, you mentioned, Father. So they've they've got yeah. a bit of a they, bit of a selection. They should have somewhere. heliotropium. They should have heliotropium as well, or they used to. Oh Anyways, no, so. they don't have it anymore. Okay. It,
1: it, and it, yeah, all I know is uh, you know there's a lot that tan prints now that you know i i don't necessarily approve of everything but they do they have reprinted a lot of good classics um i have to hand that to them Mm -hmm. um so i wanted to 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 get into this topic of divine providence by by just talking about sanctity in general um the catholic church has always taught that christian perfection is attainable in every walk and condition of life. Uh, Pope, P- Pope Pius XI gave uh, the unchanging mind of the Church in this regard, and of the necessity of striving for holiness for everyone, uh, when he wrote this. He said, Christ established His Holy Church as the source of holiness, and all who take her for their guide must, by reason of the divine will, strive for sanctity. For this is the will of God, says St. Paul, your sanctification." What kind of sanctity is necessary? Our Lord gives the answer. You are therefore to be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. No one can think that this invitation is addressed to a specially chosen small number, and that all others can remain on a lower rung of virtue. This law obliges absolutely everyone in the world, with no exception. So if our Lord Jesus Christ has said, be perfect— then we can't say that it is impossible. We are not asked to be as perfect as as uh as God, but perfect in our own way. Uh everything is perfect according to its nature. Uh we're not asked to be as infinitely perfect as God, but we are called to be what we should be. Um and to say that that's impossible would be an insult to God's goodness. God does not ask the impossible and when he commands something, it's proof that it is possible. Uh, divine commands are always equally balanced with divine grace as god asks so he gives as he burdens so he sustains as he commands so he aids um but i think one of the most important points to remember is that we are not commanded to be saints uh but we are commanded to strive to be saints uh patiently and perseveringly and that's a little different um Now, if if God calls us all to be saints, uh, therefore the essential means to holiness must be within the reach of all of us. In 1916, uh, Pope Benedict XV wrote, Sanctity, properly properly so-called, consists in simple conformity to the divine will, expressed in the exact and constant fulfillment of the duties of one's proper state. Unquote. And in the bull of canonization of St. Trez of the Child Jesus, Pope Pius XI said, "...without going beyond the common order of things, in her way of life she followed out and fulfilled her vocation with such alacrity, generosity, and constancy that she reached an heroic degree of virtue." Unquote. Notice the words, "...without going beyond the common order of things." And I think it ought it ought to be consoling for us to know that to attain sanctity... We don't have to go out uh, outside of the common order of things, uh, because sanctity is essentially the love of God, and the love of God is essentially the union of our will with the will of God. And that is possible anywhere, in any place, and in any state of life. Uh, St. Teresa of Avila said, do not imagine, then, that our advancement depends on something esoteric and extraordinary. No. All our spiritual progress is measured by the degree of our conformity to the divine will. So I cannot be too much insisted upon that love of God is the essence of holiness. And love is essentially the, the union of our will with God's will. And all the masters of spiritual life have always insisted upon this truth. Um, if you love God... You will love what God loves, and you'll do what God wants you to do. Um, it's as simple as that. Um, if you love me, keep my commandments. Love is in the union of your will with God's will, essentially.
0: Yeah. So I was just going to say, I think that really uh, underscores the point that you made at the beginning of the show, Father, about uh, how practical this topic right. is. Then, mm-hmm. I mean, this is... As I, as you said, this is almost more practical than, than uh, many other spiritual things because right. uh, uh, conforming oneself to divine providence is something that we can really be doing every moment of our lives by exactly. doing our duty and uh, accepting everything that that happens.
1: Right, right, um, and, and it gets down to those who are sincerely striving to have a deeper spiritual life, sanctity is within their reach. It's in the reach of everyone. Um, so the question is: how do we make our lives worthwhile in the sight of God? How can we draw closer to God? Um, the answer is simple. You first and foremost aim at the faithful accomplishment of the duties of your state in life uh, for the love of God. Uh, duty, first of all, duty faithfully done for God's sake, spell sanctity. And this is important. Uh, you know, duty faithfully done spells sanctity. Extra prayers, fasting, uh, spiritual reading, uh, uh all are very good and pleasing to God, but only to the degree that they are in accordance with the will of God. Uh, for example, it should be obvious that it would not be a holy thing for a mother to spend the whole day on her knees reciting private prayers and devotions to the neglect of her family. Her duty is first to her family, and this is God's will for her. That's where she finds sanctity. and if if she wishes to show her love for God, and this goes for her father or husband or whatever, if if she wishes to if that wife wishes and and mother wishes to show her love for God, she must first of all be devoted to her duty and faithfully fulfill it to the best of her ability. Before any self chosen acts of piety, um, so the principle and this again that applies to everyone uh, first duty, then private devotions, then other other things um, uh, duty uh to one state in life, however, must be understood uh, in its full sense to include the uh commandments of God, our religious duties, the duty towards one's family and profession you know, the duties arising from personal circumstances, etc. So, but if if these duties are to uh, aid us towards union with God, we have to carry them out, not just as something to be done and gotten over with, but done out of love for God and seen as a manifestation of His will. Um, then the ordinary, mundane, uh, unspiritual, quote-unquote, uh, humdrum and monotonous, Everyday duties become marvelous stepping stones leading to deep union with God. It's it's a matter of doing the ordinary things of life extraordinarily well because you've done it out of love. Um, It's really the the heart of sanctity. Uh, St. Francis de Sales says, The goal of the spiritual life is the union of the soul with God by incessant conformity to the divine will. But like, uh, unquote, but like, like a metal, union with God's will has two sides or aspects. There's two sides to it. One side is active, and the other side is passive. And to be truly holy, we must be both actively and passively united with the will of God. But what does this mean? Active union with God is doing all that we know that God wants us to do. And this is obedience to what is called God's signified will, or his expressed will. And his signified will is manifested to us by the rules he's made for us. For example, his commandments, uh, the commandments of the church, his church, uh, the gospels and the councils, etc. cetera. Um, it, a spiritual writer by the name of Father Le Gaudier, uh, in his book, Perfection in the Spiritual Life, he gives nine principal ways of knowing the will of God. His command, his counsel, the example of Christ— our state of life, obedience to human authority, divine inspiration, human advice, natural inspiration, resignation, and so it is, he he writes, there is nothing in all the world that may not be a sign of the will of God, unquote. But the passive side of union with the will of God is to want all that God does to us, that is, all that he wills or allows to happen to us. And this is obedience to God's will of good pleasure. And this will of good pleasure is revealed to us by the course of of events of everyday life. So the entire spiritual life could be neatly summed up in this little powerful maxim, one of my favorites. It says, we must do all that God wants and want all that God does. I'm going to repeat that. We must do all that God wants and want all that God does i think that neatly sums up the spiritual life uh, but to me it is the second half of this maxim to want what god does that could be considered in a sense the larger part of the spiritual life especially as the soul advances in the spiritual life and becomes more and more uh, contemplative in prayer unfortunately few understand and practice this passive aspect and so they fail to love god wholeheartedly you know people they're unfaithful to the commandments but they fail in patience, they fail in abandonment to divine providence, um, because so few I think uh you know really understand the Catholic doctrine of divine providence and how all encompassing divine providence actually is. It's literally everything that happens in this life um, and this passive side I'll mention this is not literally passive in the sense that you do nothing uh, that is really a part of the heresy of quietism. No, it's, it's really a very active in the sense that you have to exert sometimes very great effort to conform your will to God's will as manifested by divine providence day by day, even minute by minute. So you have that passive and active side. And I think that's important to remember that uh, uh, we must do all that God wants, but want all that God does to us. And many people don't want what God does to them. They rebel at it, and therefore their spiritual life um, hits a roadblock because they're not willing what God wants. In order to really grasp divine providence, we have to look to the basic and fundamental divine truths which it is founded upon. Again, we keep coming back to this point that the spiritual life is not founded on emotion or sentimental, pious piffle, but on truth, divine truth, objective reality. And the whole practice of abandonment to divine providence is really founded on the basic philosophical truth and theological truth that God not only created us from nothing, ex nicolo, but also sustains us from moment to moment in existence. And that's really the key to divine providence. I think there is a very common misconception about the world and about God, which many people have, and even perhaps many of us Catholics, I think— are unconsciously affected by it to some degree, whether we realize it or not. And this misconception is to imagine that God the Creator is somewhat uh, like an earthly artisan or manufacturer who is able to make something and then let it run on its own. And there's a common example is is a clockmaker. A clockmaker, he designs and makes a clock, uh, and after winding it up, he can leave it go by itself. And the clock doesn't need the clockmaker to exist. It is independent. It's autonomous from its maker. It may be needed to be wound up once in a while, but essentially it is independent. And somewhat in the same way do many people, maybe unconsciously, look upon God in creation. We all believe that he created the universe. But some might think that it can somehow run on its own power while God is off in a distant heaven you know the extreme form of this view is called deism and deists believe that there is a god that he did create the world but that's it he has no more connection with it and doesn't intervene he doesn't really care about its destiny he doesn't really care about human affairs um deism is condemned by the church
0: mhm
1: and and uh, but,
0: the, uh, the 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 roots the most the United States and probably as a mm-hmm. result to an extent to other english speaking countries that they have in deism from you know the founding fathers of the United States are right. all Deists That's, that it probably would uh, lead to all of us being to a greater or lesser extent influenced by it because mm-hmm. it's been a a big part of i think the fabric of North American society for a long time, so even without Noticing it, you would mm-hmm. tend to absorb that
1: a little bit, yeah, I think i think the error seeps in all over the place um uh and i even though no faithful Catholic would explicitly believe deism, but we are affected by this way of thinking, at least to the extent that it colors our imagination when we picture God from far distant from us, away from his creation, he's looking off, he's often having somewhere beyond the clouds, he's looking down upon everything from above, Um, and that's what really the atheists object to. They object to the man in the sky. Well, we don't believe God is some man, a bearded man in the sky, who designed everything and he's just looking down, watching it all happen. Uh, That's totally childish uh, and inadequate. That's not the way it is. Um, Right.
0: Well, although the other objection that most people raise, and I think this may be why Another reason why some people fall into the, the, kind, of the deist is cause this is kind of a deist attitude is because this is not kind of a explanation that some people give is, you know, the whole, well, why is there evil in the world? Oh, well, it must be because right. you know, you know, God doesn't, he just, right. you know, set things up and he took off, right. and, and right. I'm sure that's something you're going to talk about. But how, yes. although God never does evil, he he right. allows it for our sanctification. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. For a greater good. Um, yeah, the, the truth is, is, is so much more profound. Uh, it's so much more terrifying in one way, but it's very much more consoling. Um, and the truth is is this, really, that since God made all things out of nothing, all things must continue to be upheld by God from moment to moment, or they would sink back into their native nothingness. So just stop and think of the vast consequences of this truth. For one, uh, you who are listening to these words are being held in existence solely by God's continuing will. It's not that you would simply die if he abandoned you. You would be nothing, nothing at all. You, You could not breathe. You could not think or even listen to these words if God did not give you the strength and the power to do so. You're entirely, absolutely dependent on God for everything, for life, strength, for your very existence, for every thought that exists in your mind uh, is upheld by God. It wouldn't exist. It wouldn't exist in your mind. Uh, So God, um, we're totally dependent upon him. And there are many truths in our religion, and and each, if fully realized, would hit us like a two-by-four in the back of our head. But I think this one especially, this one, we think about it, this will fill us with awe and reverence for God, that we're totally dependent. He's holding us by a thread over the abyss of nothingness, by simply an act of his will. Um, But two very consoling truths uh, flow from this uh, truth of uh, creation's complete dependence upon God. The first is that of divine providence, which will... um, which. We're talking about this whole show. The second is that of God's omnipresence, which I did talk about in our last episode, but I'll just briefly uh, refer to it again. I said there that a spirit is beyond space. Uh, It is not a material bodily thing. It, uh, It cannot be contained in a place as water is contained in a cup. Rather, a spirit is where it acts. A spirit is where something receives the effect of its power. And just like the human soul, the human soul is, not, it is everywhere in the body because it is, is giving life to every part of the body. But this, the soul has no weight, it has no shape, it has no size, really. It's not the size of your body. It transcends uh, space, uh, but it gives life. It acts uh, in your body. It gives it life. Um, now, God is everywhere, in everything, in every part of the universe, in men, in angels, every atom, in every being that exists, because he has to act there, upholding it completely and entirely in the depth of, the, of its being. It, it, he, so he, he must be everywhere by his power, and this is why St. Paul said that God is God is not far from every one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, so his presence In creation in all things is closer than close. He's closer than uh, the dye is to the wool, or the rose's color is to the rose, or the light is to the air, or our thought is even in our own mind. He's closer than that. He's closer than our own selves, uh, uh, closer than our own thinking. um, We're in a sense bathed in God's action. He's all around us. He's working all the time in every Every cell of your body and every atom of every cell, he's upholding it. So, again, St. Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being. You know that song, I forget who sings it, but God is watching us from a distance. Um, That's wrong. God is not from a distance. He's not far from us at all. And that's totally, again, that's almost, a again, that's deism, really. God is watching us from a distance. Um, no, he's very close, extremely close. He's closer than close. Um, so creatures, all creatures, every, from every atom to every archangel, are absolutely contingent beings, essentially unnecessary. We are absolutely dependent upon God's will and power for existence. God exists because he is existence. It is his very nature to exist, but creatures have come into being and continue in being purely out of God's almighty power. Creatures do not possess existence as part of their very nature, or we would exist from all eternity. It's not our nature to exist. We can exist, but we don't have to. It's like, uh, for example, a triangle, to be a triangle, has to have three sides. If it is a triangle, it has to have three sides. But a creature like us, we don't have to exist. We may exist, but it doesn't have to exist. God is different than that. God has to exist. Existence is part of his very nature, part of his essence. And therefore, he is the source of our being, the source of our existence. We, we derive our existence from him. Uh, so really, creation is not something that is over and done with. It not only happened, but is happening as we speak, moment to moment. God is almost continually creating from moment to moment. Um, And that's what we call God's conservation. Um, The Catechism of the Council of Trent uh, said, quote, "...if his providence did not preserve all things with the same power with which they were created in the beginning, they would fall back into nothingness immediately." Unquote. This is really a dogma of our Catholic faith. Um, Holy Scripture teaches this truth in many places, uh, one of which is the Book of Wisdom, quote, and how could anything endure if thou wouldst not or be preserved if not called by thee, unquote. And we have also our Lord saying in John uh, chapter 5, verse 15, this very thing. He said, my Father worketh until now, and I work. And this text shows uh shows us two things namely that God the Father is continually working in creation because he has to uphold everything, and secondly our Lord is saying that he's doing the very same thing and therefore he's God too he's working the same way that the father worketh um, Saint Paul uh says by him all things consist in in his epistle to the colossians and Also, to his epistle to the Hebrews, he says, He upholdeth all things by the word of his power. So, if nothing exists without God, it follows that nothing can move, nothing can act or do anything unless God gave it the power to do so. If I raise my arm, yes, my free will decided to do it, but God must give me the energy to do it, or I couldn't do it. In the same way, if a man raises an army to destroy another nation, God may not approve of his choice, but it cannot be done without his power. And it is, it is common Catholic teaching, although technically not officially defined by the Church, mostly because it's never been controversial or questioned, but it is a common Catholic teaching that God must cooperate immediately in every act of his creatures. Every action of a creature is a real thing, a real being. And that being depends upon God. Remember, St. Paul says, in Him we live and move and have our being. So, by this truth, do we, I hope our listeners can, un, can see how providence comes in. How, how nothing, absolutely nothing can happen or does happen without God's order or permission. And everything that happens... Uh, must be part of a master plan of his, of of an all-wise, all-powerful, and all-loving creator. And God cares for all things, even the most trivial. He says this, uh, our Lord says this, not a hair falls from your head without your Heavenly Father, not a sparrow falls or dies without your Heavenly Father knowing it and providing for everything, the birds of the air. Um, And if the tiniest action of life needs God, And the big things need him, too. A blink of an eye wouldn't exist unless he's holding it in existence. So he's in charge, ultimately, of everything. He is the supreme lord and sovereign master of all. And I found this beautifully expressed by Abbot Vital Lahodi in his book, Holy Abandonment. And he writes this, quote, Whilst ruling the stars and presiding over the revolutions of the earth, He concurs with the ants in their labors, with the insects in their least movements, and with the countless millions of atoms constituting a single drop of water in their invisible activities. Without him, not a leaf can stir, not a blade of grass die, not a grain of sand be moved about by the wind. He keeps a solicitous watch over the birds of the air, over the lilies of the field, and as each of us is worth more than many birds, He does not forget his little children. A thousand details of daily life will escape the notice of the father of a family and the most attentive of mothers. But God, in his infinite intelligence, possesses the secret of providing without effort for the most trivial incidents as well as for the most important events. Yes, he has numbered the very hairs of our heads. Not one of them can fall without the permission of our Heavenly Father. And what can seem so insignificant as the fall of a single hair? Nevertheless, God thinks of it. And thus I, an insignificant Adam in the great world, occupy day and night, always and everywhere, the mind and the heart of my Father in heaven. Oh, uh, Oh, how infinitely touching is this truth of our holy faith. How touching and how consoling. Again, that goes back to the Sermon on the Mount. I was once giving a class in a chapel in Denver, on, and I quoted that, Abbot Vital Lahoti, and, you know, he mentioned about the hairs. God has numbered the very hairs of our heads, and I remember saying that uh, for some of us men, as we get older, he he has to count less and less of our hairs. Mm -hmm. Uh, He makes it easier on himself, I guess. (laughs) Um, Another foundational truth of divine providence is that Uh, God's knowledge is perfect and infinite. God cannot grow in knowledge. He cannot learn from creation. And so our actions, even our free ones, do not teach God anything that he didn't already know from all eternity. If God could learn from creation, then he wouldn't be God. He has to know what's going to happen. He wouldn't be perfect and and an infinite God uh, if he grew in knowledge. He would be a finite, imperfect God. And therefore, everything that has happened and is happening will happen in creation. God knew it down to the least detail from all eternity, and he's worked every action, reaction, effect into his, his eternally wise master plan for creation. God is being an intelligent agent. He's intelligence itself. He's truth itself. He's wisdom itself. He has, he, he has to work towards a specific end or purpose in creation. He's not just a a random uh, machine. He's intelligence itself. What he does, he does for a purpose. And namely, his purpose is his own glory. By manifesting, his glory uh, comes by manifesting his goodness in creation, his holiness in creation, his beauty, his life, his love in finite creatures. That's where he gets his glory from, by sharing his attributes, Um, by letting us partake in his goodness and life. Um, And creatures, whether they cooperate with him or not, every creature will ultimately glorify one of his attributes, his mercy, his justice, his holiness. If you go to heaven, uh, if a soul goes to heaven, you will glorify God. Uh, But if you go to hell, you'll also glorify God in the sense that his holiness will stand out as being absolute, and that you rejected it, his justice will stand out and and uh even even hell has its place in the big scheme of things to show that rejecting God is not a small thing is it, is not uh inconsequential that God is holiness itself, and to reject him is misery uh he's joy itself, and to reject him is 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 misery um but everything in our life is part of his plan. Uh, now this brings us to, uh, the mystery of free will. And, um, it's always going to remain a mystery. Uh, and I don't have time to go into it in any depth, but, uh, um, I will say this. The question is if God knows everything we're going to do in the future, how can we be free not to do it? This is indeed a mystery that we will never fully understand in this life, but we do have insights into this mystery. And remember a mystery is not a truth which you can know nothing about. It's simply a a mystery is a truth which you cannot know everything about. You can know something. You'll never fully understand everything, but you can know something. There is light there. A mystery is not pure darkness. It it means that it's too much light and we can only get a little bit in this life. in every mystery of our faith, we have to accept both parts of the mystery at full force, at white heat, as it were, and, and not water down either side of the mystery. Uh, for example, in the Incarnation, um, our Lord Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, truly God and truly man. He's not part man part God. He's fully God and fully man. You have to take both sides, and somehow uh, they're reconciled together. We do not fully understand how they are reconciled, how can uh, they both work together, uh, but that's part of the mystery. You have to take both and, and accept it. And for this mystery, we know that we're free, we have free will, but yet God knows from all eternity what we're going to choose. You have to believe both things and say, even if I can't see it, they have to work together. Now, God knows all things, past, present, and future, but God is not in time. But in eternity. That's the key to this. God doesn't literally predestine or pre know anything. He simply knows it because to him, all time is simply present to him. And the best explanation of this was written by C. S. Lewis in his book Mere Christianity. And I must quote this even though it's slightly off topic, I think it it gives um, great insight. He says this almost certainly God is not in time. His life does not consist of moments following one another. If a million people are praying to him at 10.30 tonight, he need not listen to them all in that one little snippet, which we call 10.30. 10.30 and every other moment from the beginning of the world is always the present for him. If you like to put it that way, he has all eternity in which to listen to the split second of prayer put up by a pilot as his plane crashes in flames. That is difficult, I know. Let me try to give something not the same, but a bit like it. Suppose I am writing a novel. I write, Mary laid down her work. Next moment came a knock at the door. For Mary, who has to live in the imaginary time of my story, there is no interval between putting down the work and hearing the knock. But I, who am Mary's maker, do not live in that imaginary time at all. Between writing the first half of that sentence and the second, I might sit down for three hours and think steadily about Mary. I could think about Mary as if she were the only character in the book, and for as long as I pleased, and the hours I spent in doing so would not appear in Mary's time, the time inside the story, at all. This is not a perfect illustration, of course, but it may give just a glimpse of what I believe to be the truth, God is not hurried along in the time stream of this universe any more than an author is hurried along in the imaginary time of his own novel. He has infinite attention to spare for each one of us. He does not have to deal with us in the mass. You are as much alone with him as if you were the only being he had ever created. When Christ died, he died for you individually, just as much as if you had been the only man in the world. The way in which my illustration breaks down is this. In it, the author gets out of one time series, that of the novel, only by going into another time series, the real one. But God, I believe, does not live in a time series at all. His life is not dribbled out moment by moment like ours. With him it is, so to speak, still 1920 and already 1960. You can see how long ago he wrote this. Uh, For his life is himself. Another difficulty we get if we believe God to be in time is this. Everyone who believes in God at all believes that he knows what you and I are going to do tomorrow. If he knows I am going to do so-and-so, how can I be free to do otherwise? Well, here, once again, the difficulty comes from thinking that God is progressing along the timeline like us. The only difference being that he can see ahead and we cannot. Well, if that were true, if God foresaw our acts, it would, it would be very hard to understand how we could be free not to do them. But suppose God is outside and above the timeline. In that case, what we call tomorrow is visible to him in just the same way as what we call today. All the days are now for him. He does not remember you doing things yesterday. He simply sees you doing them, because though you have lost yesterday, he has not. He does not foresee you doing things tomorrow. He simply sees you doing them, because though tomorrow is not, here, there, is not there for you, it is for him. You never suppose that your actions at this moment were any less free because God knows what you are doing. Well, he knows your tomorrow's action in just the same way because he is already in tomorrow and can simply watch you. In a sense, he does not know your action till you have done it, but then the moment at which you have done it, it is already now for him." Unquote. So I think I, I really, I've always really loved that excerpt from C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never read that book,
0: but uh, that's uh, uh, a good analogy, and a good way of explaining yeah. it. That but I think uh, uh, maybe I'm getting a little ahead of ourselves here. But I think a lot of what we've discussed so far, people don't have a, have as much difficulty with. It It seems that the, the thing that a lot of people have difficulty with is if God wills everything, you know, how can there be evil in the world? <laughs> right. You know, that's the old... The, right. Uh...
1: Well, I will get into that in a moment, but um first of all, before I get into that, uh let me deal with a couple of topics and then I have a, I do have a good um uh excerpt from from a a spiritual writer on that topic. Uh but I will say now, um we have to again, we have to believe that God is goodness itself. Uh he is absolutely wise. And so we have to have an a priori uh faith that if he allows evil, uh, it's for the best. You simply have to have that a priori faith. You cannot question, Um, even though we may not fully understand why he allows this stuff, we understand uh, God's will and God's uh, nature uh, as much as an ant understands about us. Uh, Not much. An ant really doesn't understand us at all. And so, uh, We have to say that since God is infinitely above us uh, and infinitely good, um, we simply trust. We simply, if all these apparent evils in the world, uh, it doesn't really matter. He's in control, absolutely. Um, But let me get to this point um, before I forget. uh, uh, He... This quote from C.S. Lewis, he brings a book uh, up about prayer, and I wanted to mention about that, um, how prayer plays into divine providence. Um, let me just say this. Prayer doesn't change God's will, but God takes, does take into account your prayers from all eternity, so that your prayer certainly uh, has an effect on the world. It certainly is a secondary cause of events in this world. Um, Just like other powers that God gave us, you know, uh, to choose to act this way or not, uh, God knows from all eternity that he's worked uh, what we've done into his grand plan. Um, And and so with prayer. Prayer is a a very powerful force, uh, so much so that if we decide not to pray, something simply will not happen. God, of course, knew this from all eternity, but he has taken into account your choice not to pray or to pray. So we have to pray. Um, it's it's not for nothing. It's not superfluous. Um, as Christians, as believers in divine providence, uh, we don't believe in blind fate. Uh, uh, we're not fatalists. Uh, whatever will be, will be. No, we make choices, and those choices do affect the course of history. Uh, but of course, everything becomes part of God's providence, but it does affect that providence um, from all eternity. So so nothing happens by chance. That's what we have to get down to. Nothing. Simply what we call chance is simply our ignorance of God's providential arrangements. Uh, This is what St. Augustine said. Uh, Providence is really just, uh, chance is just providence in disguise. St. Augustine said, nothing in our lives is due to chance. But whatever happens contrary to our wills be assured that it is in accordance with the will of god with his providence with the order he has instituted with the consent he has given and the laws he has established Unquote. and he said also this it is certain that there are fortuitous futuri- uh, futuri- events unexpected occurrences but they are unexpected only with regard to us in reality they are designed by an all-ruling providence that subordinates and reduces all things to its service," um, unquote. But the fact that nothing happens by chance, but by divine providence, does not mean that we are meant to know or search for the reason or meaning why everything happens. That would that would be impossible, and it would drive us insane. We we have no idea. Sometimes uh, we have to leave that to God. It's not for us to know absolutely everything. We're simply to trust that whatever happens, God has willed or permitted it to happen for a reason. But that reason is, that reason is for him to know, not us. He sees the big picture. We do not. We simply have to bow before his wisdom and trust uh, in his loving providence that his will is not, is not always going to be clear to us. And that's just this the fact. We're little children to him. And if you're 80 years old, 90 years old, you're still a child you're still a little child to him um, and and although we we mustn't go prying into the reason why everything happens, uh, we have to nevertheless see God 's hand behind everything. We have to see his divine providence, uh, even though we do not understand why He allows certain things to happen, whether it's the the sun or the wind or the rain or or, or human beings endowed with free will, uh, God makes use of his creatures to unwittingly accomplish his designs. They don't understand what they're doing, but they accomplish his designs. Uh, And I think it's so important to see God's hand behind what happens to us. Uh, Many people, uh, they blame everything bad that happens to them, or quote-unquote bad happens to them. They blame it on the devil. Uh, uh, They're too prone to see the devil's hand. I've seen this uh, Someone is lifting up a bag and the bag rips. Oh, that stupid devil! Or they spill their milk on the table. Oh, the devils did that. No, just understands part of God's providence for you. Just be patient. Uh, We should see God's hand. I think that's important. Uh, Don't don't be too devil conscious that you blame everything on the devil. Even the devil himself, uh, God uses to accomplish His design. Look at Saint. uh, I mean, look at Job in the Old Testament yeah the devil did stuff to job, but God was ultimately in control. Uh, god uses sometimes the devil to punish uh the world, but ultimately God is in control um, uh, so in in, in um, whatever happens to us, we have to see god 's hand the cold that chills us, the heat that warms us, even the wind that blows our house down. you have to see the divine divine providence in the in the success. Uh, successes that encourage us or in the trials and crosses that cause us pain, you have to see divine providence and the neighbor that offends us and the friend that helps us uh, in that illness or, or, or in that remedy that cures us, we have to see providence. Um, everything is part of divine providence. Scripture says good things and evil, life and death, poverty and riches are from God. Um evil in the sense of being, you know, suffering and and things like that. Uh, The so-called evils that befall us are not really evils in themselves. They're blessings in disguise. Uh, But it takes faith to see this. Um, St. Paul says, All things work together for good for them that love God. All things, all the events of providence, all trials of body and soul, all uh, dryness in prayer, all temptations, uh, everything can work towards our true happiness, ultimate happiness and holiness, even our sins, St. Augustine said. And uh, a spiritual writer by the name of Father Grew explains uh, Mm -hmm. this. We must be resolved never to offend God willingly, but if unfortunately we do offend Him, our very offenses, our very crimes may be made use of for our advantage if we really love God. We have only to remember David. We have only to remember St. Peter whose sins only serve to make them more holy afterwards that is to say more humble more grateful to god more full of love unquote and you were talking about about uh um evil in the world Um, again it comes back to we have to have an a priori faith which means before the fact before no matter what happens god is infinitely good infinitely wise if something happens in my life that causes me to suffer, or something in the world that, that we think is, is uh, the most evil thing. And there are very evil things, but if God allows it to happen, it is for the best, and God will ultimately bring a greater good out of it. St. Augustine said that God is so powerful that, um, yeah, he could stop all evil, but he's even more powerful that he he allows evil that a greater good may come from it. And we may not see that greater good in our life, uh, um, but it it is there. We will see it, uh, uh, you know, at the Last Judgment. We'll see the history of mankind. We'll see why God allowed so much sin, and it was for the best. It was ultimately for the best. Um, Even sin, even the abuse of man's free will, God uses to further his own divine and loving plan. In some way, he's able to bring good out of this. And I found uh, an excellent uh, explanation of this by Father Francis McGarigal, S.J. Um, I I found it a little bit shocking at first. Um, But this is from his book, um, My Father's Will. And I have to quote this. This this talks about evil. Um, Again, uh, he says this, quote, Every effect on any being is willed positively by God. Even the effect on us of the wrongdoings of others is not merely permitted, but is the positive ordination of God for His glory and for our perfection. There is only one thing not expressly willed by Him the sinfulness of the evil choice of the sinner. But after the sinful choice, God fully wills the resulting modification of our lives and resulting aid or hindrance to perfect living. He wills all his creatures to be affected just as they are affected. He wills them to glorify him by fulfilling his desires in the setting of circumstances ordained for them, whether this arises from the physical necessity of natural laws or from the voluntary actions of human associates, whether this be favorable or unfavorable to material or to spiritual well-being. It is not the harness but the horse that draws the wagon. It is not the creature, but the Creator who governs our lives. As the fifth psalm says, thou art not a God that willeth iniquity, but the effect that an iniquitous act has on us is not iniquity. We say truly of God in Psalm 44, thou hast loved holiness and hated iniquity, but once given the wicked deed, God can will its effects on others, even though the effect be temptation to sin. For temptation is not sin and can well result in virtue and glory to God. Obviously, all temptation is intended by God as a source of good and not of evil. The fact that God wills without exception every effect that happens to his creatures is a truth, which if applied to our lives will render them, wherever and however they be circumstance, lives of sheer beauty, lives of pure worth, lives of divine nobility. It means that all that happens to us is willed by our all-perfect Heavenly Father, hence it is the very best for us. But is there not one exception to this law of God's will in the circumstances of our life, namely the results of our own sins on our character? No. Under the healing touch of the divine will, even the reactions of our past sins become means of perfection and holiness, which He wishes us to work out under circumstances inevitably following sin. The handicap arising from past sin is now as much the will of God as though he had been created with it, as though we had been created with it. As an added difficulty under which we serve God and carry out his will, it is a source of grace and holiness. And so nothing is really lost until the soul is lost. Without God's power acting in every act of every creature, there could not possibly be any action in this world, just as there could be no creature at all, unless God sustained it from moment to moment, as it were, by the thread of existence held by his thumb and finger above the abyss of nothingness from which he originally drew it. Even in the physical action of sin, God acts in the sinner's action entirely and without exception, In far as the sinful act is a positive entity. We must remember that the essence of moral evil, sin, is not a positive thing or act. It is an omission or or privation of the right order willed by God in the thing done. Thus, the destruction of human life in legitimate defense of country and individuals is not an evil, since it is in right order as regards God's will, while the same action is evil if done with a disorderly motive, for example, revenge or robbery. The creature then, the creator, excuse me, the creator then Acts in the positive act of the sinning creature, but not in its negative element of disorder, not in its omission of order, which is the result of human will alone. So, basically, I'll sum up what he says here. You know, sin in itself uh, is the privation of of right order in the moral order. It's not a positive thing. You can't have a cup of sin. You can't have a bucket of sin. Um, It's lacking. Something that should be there, namely obedience to God's will, um, and and but the physical action, um, uh, and the result of that is not sin itself, and he has to cooperate in the, that that action, even though he doesn't approve of the moral choice, the moral order. So really, um, God, his action on the world, it applies to really everything that happens. Hurricane comes by, blows your house down. You have to. See that, yes, God has made certain laws, uh, natural laws, uh, but they wouldn't exist, they wouldn't continue to exist unless God was upholding it. So we have to see that from all eternity, God knew that that wind was going to blow down your house and and cause this suffering or that suffering, but he's worked it into his plan that he's drawing a greater good from it, even though we may not see it. We simply have to trust um, uh, that whatever happens, um, that he is. Not only allowed it, but but he's willed it. He allows sin, but all the effects of sin uh, in our lives, unfortunately, to us sometimes, we feel that uh, it's unfair. Uh, but he knows best. He knows best. And he he doesn't just stand back and say, well, I can't stop it. I'm just going to try to fix it later. Um, no, he is involved in what happens in this world. And that, to me, that's a comforting thought, uh, that the world is not just a random uh uh, place of accidents and and everything, and and that uh, um, he is ultimately in control, that, that uh, we're surrounded by his action. St. Paul, you know, really gives the reason for this. He says, God has predestined us unto the adoption of children through Jesus Christ, unto himself according to the purpose of his will, unto the praise of the glory of his grace in which he hath graced us in his beloved Son, in whom we are also called by lot, being predestined according to the counsel of his will, that we might be unto the praise of his glory. So our lives, apart from our own evil choices, are all worked out according to the counsel of his will. All are thought out by God and given a purpose. And the purpose of his will is to glorify him as his children. And our success on earth and in eternity depends, uh, really, on our carrying out this purpose. Otherwise, we are frustrated existences. Let me sum up this, uh, these principles in Divine Providence, and we'll just talk about a few um, practical applications. Um, Father Ramier, who uh, was the editor of, of uh letters, and he wrote that uh, treatise on Divine Providence in De Descartes' name, he summarizes these principles this way. The, the first principle, quote, Nothing is done, nothing happens, either in the material or in the moral world, which God has not foreseen from all eternity, and which he has not willed or at least permitted. The second principle, God can will nothing, he can permit nothing, but in view of the end he proposed to himself in creating the world. That is, in view of his glory and the glory of the God-man, Jesus Christ, his only Son, To these two principles, we shall add a third, which will complete the elucidation of this whole subject. As long as man lives upon earth, God desires to be glorified through the happiness of this privileged creature. And consequently, in God's designs, the interest of man's sanctification and happiness is inseparable from the interest of the divine glory. And I wanted to say uh, this—he has more to say, but I wanted to add that— God's will is our sanctification. The more we sanctify ourselves, the more we glorify God. And that's important to remember. Uh, Father Ramier continues, If we do not lose sight of these principles, which no Christian can question, we shall understand that our confidence in the providence of our Father in Heaven cannot be too great, too absolute, too childlike. If nothing but what He permits happens, and if He can permit nothing but what is for our happiness, then we have nothing to fear except not being sufficiently submissive to God. As long as we keep ourselves united with him and we walk after his designs, were all creatures to turn against us, they could not harm us. He who relies upon God becomes by this very reliance as powerful and invincible as God, and created powers can no more prevail against him than against God himself." This confidence in the fatherly providence of God cannot evidently dispense us from doing all that is in our power to accomplish His designs. But after having done all that depends upon our efforts, we will abandon ourselves completely to God for the rest. This abandonment should extend, in fact, to everything, to the past, to the present, to the future, to the body and all its conditions, to the soul and all its miseries, as well as all its qualities, to blessings, to afflictions, to the goodwill of men and to their malice, to the vicissitudes of the material and the revolutions of the moral world, to life and to death, to time and to eternity. Unquote. So, to me, uh, based on these truths, abandonment to divine providence—it's not only vitally necessary uh, for the attainment of true sanctity; it's really the only way to true sanity of mind. For if we If you fail to see the hand of God behind everything that happens to us, you're not really living in reality. Uh, That is reality. Um, uh, So nothing, absolutely nothing happens unless God wills or permits it. And to see this and to live by this knowledge uh, will ultimately result in sanctity. This is the only way. It's also the only way to attain uh, unshakable peace of soul. I think without knowing really knowing about divine providence uh, this world must of necessity i think appear like a big scary place a jumbled mess of uh, unfortunate accidents uh, a continual series of random setbacks misfortunes miseries trials and sufferings all to no purpose and without rhyme or reason Uh, without understanding divine providence nothing would seem to work out right in accordance uh, with god's will but with the knowledge of divine providence however we know that everything is part of his will part of his plan somehow uh in some way that he alone knows and that he is ultimately in control even when it seems that he's not and you know this applies especially in the situation in the church today um it's disturbing it's concerning but it's his problem it's god's problem uh, we We can study it, we can pray about it, but we shouldn 't lose our peace of soul over it uh If he wants to destroy um, you know the country after country, then let it happen. We should only want what God wants um, if he if he wants the church to suffer more, then glory be to god um he 's allowed this to happen to the church it 's part of his providence um, so let 's not lose our peace of soul uh, for anything in this world um I don't know how you can maintain a deep peace of soul without absolute childlike trust in God and, and loving abandonment to His His fatherly providence. I, I don't think it's possible. Um, now, this a complete abandonment to God, it's hard to put in continual practice, because it's so contrary to fallen human will and self-will, but to the extent that we can put it into practice, really, that's, that's the source of peace and joy in this life, uh, uh, a peace and joy that is above emotions above feeling it's a, it's a peace that sur- surpasses all understanding you know dante wrote in his will is our peace and and that that's really what it is that's where we're going to have peace yeah yeah absolutely and i i can say from uh well i'm sure everyone would
0: sh- shares this experience that mm-hmm. it's easy to um be uh overly worried about things or if you're mm-hmm. in a position in your life where things just seem like they're going really bad you you know it's just natural to feel down about that or discouraged. But then, if you uh-huh. uh, if you step back, and for me that's <laughs> I've always found a benefit if things are going really wrong to pick up um, the trustful mm-hmm. surrender to divine providence book that I mentioned earlier. Because I start reading that, and then you you do have that peace when you when mm-hmm. you recognize that. But the way you describe the world as being a scary place and nothing seeming to go right. I mean, I think you've just described the way 99% of humanity view the world
1: absolutely today,
0: and that's why you keep on hearing the recurring over and over, um, quote, argument, unquote, against religion. People are saying, oh, well, you know, look at all that horrible stuff that happens in the world, you know, Catholics or Christians, they, they must be completely wrong to think there's a God, because everything just seems right. like going wrong all the time, and it doesn't seem like right. it's uh, according to a plan, but it's just because we're not smart enough to, right. to know right. what that plan is. Um right. I, I know just going back to trustful surrender to divine providence again, they have a good analogy in there. I can't remember whether it's in the first half or the second half, the second half being the part that was written by uh blessed Claude de la Colombiera. Yeah. Um but they give an analogy of that we're like a um like a block of marble and the and right. in and gods of the sculptors, you know, smashing yep. pieces off to make a a, a sculpture. And uh, you know, if you're a stupid piece of marble, maybe you don't understand you. You know, that's a they don't have feelings. But if they did, you know, that'd be a painful, uh, painful thing. And to a certain perspective, it would look, like it's something destructive. But in the end, you end up with a beautiful
1: marble sculpture. No, yeah. oh, absolutely. And really, uh, God is the sculptor, uh, we're the marble, and everything is the chisel. Everything is the chisel. Um, He's constantly working upon us, uh, and we don't know why. Sometimes he hits us in certain spots that, you know, that it hurts. Uh, Of course, uh, uh, we don't see the big picture, just like a a statue doesn't see uh, the final form. And God is working upon us constantly to... To bring us to a work of art in the spiritual realm. Uh, God is a divine artist. I found a quote here uh, as you were talking uh, on uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, which is another book I, I, I highly recommend. Um uh, excellent on this whole problem of suffering and pain and stuff. He he does have a, a great insight into it. He he says this: this is a famous quote: uh God whispers to us in our pleasures speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. No doubt pain as God's megaphone is a terrible instrument. It may lead to final and unrepented rebellion, but it gives the only opportunity a, the bad man can have for amendment. It removes the veil. It plants, it pla- plants the fa- flag of truth within the fortress of a rebel soul, well, I always like that quote. Um, you know, sometimes... Uh, when we're suffering that's exactly the only time when we have a chance to turn to god um uh, now most people you know they may not take advantage of that but there it is um he's a he's a physician the divine physician and sometimes he has to to cut uh in certain places to remove uh um the cancer and if we if um it hurts uh but it's ultimately for our best uh to the best. And, you know, you have times too, this is especially the point when God, you know, takes um, a child away from their parents, you know, and, and it, it's devastating. It's it, it's heartbreaking. Um, but you don't see what God sees. You don't see that perhaps that child um, would have grown up and lost its soul in one for some reason. Um, and that is the most merciful thing, That that God can do to that child is to take them at a time uh, before they had that chance. Uh, We don't see how he works in everything, um, but he does it for the best. Now, I wanted to just talk about a few practical points of application. The the purpose of life is actually very simple. It's simply to sanctify each moment as it comes to us. That's all it is. Uh, And it's really only the present moment that we are able to unite our wills to God's will. Because only the present moment, this actually fleeting moment that is within our power, it, it is only in the present, not in the past, not in the future, that we are able to love God. Therefore, sanctity doesn't require extraordinary works or the multiplicity of devotions or that we act in an uncommon manner. We have to merely grab hold of the present moment, with its apparent triviality and unimportance. And we have to transform it by good intention, by supernatural intention that, in a sense, eternalizes it. Thus, every day, every moment of every day, you you will be drawing closer and closer to God by uniting your will with God's will by moment by moment. And we don't sufficiently value the present moment. We waste time. We, we don't think about it. Uh, Father Cassade writes, We are bored with the small happenings around us, yet it is these trivialities, as we consider them, which would do marvels for us if only we did not despise them, Um, unquote. So it takes great faith to realize it, but the present moment is God's hand upon us. It's God's action. It's God's will. Or it's simply, it's God. God's will and God are the same. Uh, It is God coming to us and he's helping us. He's perfecting us. He's loving us. He's working on us and in us in some way or another. Um, DeCossade says, quote, God speaks to every individual through what happens to them moment by moment. The events of each moment are stamped with the will of God. We find all that is necessary in the present moment. And he also says, if we have abandoned ourselves to God, there's only one rule for us, the duty of the present moment. And sometimes this present moment is, again, the present moment for us, Nicholas is simply to do the show. That's how we, we honor God, to do what you have to do. Ajay quote Ajis is the saying of the ancients, do what you're doing. Do what you're doing, but do it for God, and that's how you obtain sanctity. Uh, it's that simple. Um, you know, I don't know if you're familiar, uh, Nicholas, um, uh, with Father Walter Siezek and his book uh, uh, With God in Russia.
0: Uh yeah I am uh I'm aware of it but I I haven't read it. I think we have actually discussed it on an earlier episode of um of the spiritual life. It's on my to-read list for sure.
1: Yeah, I did mention in a sermon uh one of these Sundays uh about a month ago. Uh but he wrote a book with God in Russia and then he wrote a, a sequel uh He leadeth me, which is more of the the spiritual uh, reflections of his time in Russia. Uh, when he was captured by the Russians, he was in, from 1939 to um, I forget what 64 or something, I believe. Anyways, he was um, captured. He was an undercover priest, really, in Russia, and he was captured by the communists and forced into um, uh, you know si- Siberian labor camps and and prisons and 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 everything. He suffered a lot, but he wrote some tremendous things on divine providence. And I wanted you, I wanted to read a few of his, his things. Uh, Just a few uh, smaller quotes. He says, Our sole purpose was to do the will of God, not the will of God as we might wish it or as we might have envisioned it or as we thought in our poor human wisdom it ought to be, but rather the will of God as God envisioned it and revealed it to us each day in the created situations with which he presented us. His will for us was the 24 hours of each day. The people, the places, the circumstances, He set before us in that time. Those were the things God knew were important to Him and to us at that moment. And those were the things upon which He wanted us to act, not out of any abstract principle or out of any subjective desire to, quote, to do the will of God. No, these things, these 24 hours of this day were His will. We had to learn to recognize His will in the reality of the situation and to act accordingly. We had to learn to look at our daily lives At everything that crossed our path each day with the eyes of God, learning to see his estimate of things, places, and above all people, recognizing that he had a goal and a purpose in bringing us into contact with these things and these people, and striving always to do that will, his will, every hour of every day in the situations in which he had placed us. For to what other purpose had we been created? For what other reason had he so arranged it that we should be here now, this hour, among these people? To what other end had he ordained our being here, if not to see his will in these situations, and to strive to do always what he wanted, the way he wanted it, as he would have done it for his sake, that he might have the fruit and the glory. Ultimately, we come to expect God to accept our understanding of what his will ought to be, and to help us fulfill that, instead of learning to see and accept his will in the real situations in which he places us daily, And I wanted to to insert here is that what he's driving at is that we tend to, um, when we desire to do God's will, we tend to uh, look at, we're trying to find what's God's will. Why, Why did God put this person in my life? Why did God allow this to happen when it's not for another reason? It's simply that is God's will for you. Um, you don't have to search and try to find a symbolic, mystical meaning in what happens to you. What is actually happening to you is God's will. Um, So if you trip and fall, you'll say, why did God allow that to happen? No, it's just simply he wanted you to trip and fall at that time. It has an effect on you. It has uh, an effect, but you don't know uh, all the reasons uh, why he does it. It's simply what happens to you, the people that you run into, they're all part of God's providence for you. So while Father Cisek says the plain truth, the plain and simple truth is that his will is what actually what he actually wills to send us each day in the way of circumstances, places, people, and problems. The trick is to learn to see that, not just in theory or not just occasionally in a flash of insight granted by God's grace, but every day. Each of us has no need to wonder about what God's will must be for us. His will for us is clearly revealed in every situation of every day. If only we could learn to view all things as he sees them and sends it to us. The temptation is to overlook these things as God's will. The temptation is to look beyond these things, precisely because they're so constant, so petty, so humdrum and routine, and to seek to discover instead some other and nobler will of God in the abstract that better fits our notion of what his will should be. The trouble is that, like all great truths, it seems so simple, too simple, It is there before our noses all the time, while we look elsewhere for more subtle answers. It bears the hallmark of all divine truths, simplicity. And yet it is precisely because it seems so simple that we are prone to overlook it or ignore it in our daily lives. Like every divine truth, moreover, it is far from simple of execution. Its very simplicity renders it at once almost impossible, not just of credibility, but of human achievement, For our poor human nature is too easily distracted. The very circumstances of our lives, so constant and so humdrum and routine, and yet the things that truly constitute the will of God for us each day are also the very things that serve to distract us, precisely because we're so involved in them, and causes us to lose sight, however momentarily, of this great truth." So it's really... um, you know, we can talk a long time about God's will, but it's simply what happens to you. It it, it is it is that simple. And this brings me i, I something um, to something called the sacrament of the present moment. I don't know. Have you ever heard that term? Uh, I haven't. Okay. This is a term, uh, the sacrament of the present moment. It was coined by Father uh, uh, Descasez, and it's 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 in his treatise a lot, uh, in the in the letters the sacrament of the present moment, what does Father Dekov Said and others after him, have used the term, mean by the sacrament of the present moment? And I think this is a very um, illuminating phrase, although it's startling to to use the word sacrament. He's he's using the word sacrament uh, not in the sense of one of the seven sacraments instituted by Christ to give grace, but simply in this general sense, uh, he's using the word sacrament as a means of union with God, That under the outward and visible circumstances of our life, God wishes to impart grace to our soul in much the same way that He imparts grace through the visible and tangible signs of the sacraments, in the sense that uh, the present moment is a means of drawing us closer to God by love, which is the union of our will with His. So the sacrament of the present moment is, is that we simply receive whatever comes to us moment to moment abandoning ourselves to God, accepting His will, and not just accepting it, not just resigning ourselves to God's will, but willing it, willing everything, because it is God's will for us, here and now, in this actual moment of time. And so, therefore, to the eyes of faith, the present moment... Whether it uh, uh, brings with it a duty to be performed or a suffering to be suffered, a, a joy to be enjoyed, or a temptation to be resisted, is literally a revelation or unveiling of God's will for us at this precise instant. And by uniting our will with God's will, we are uniting ourselves to God Himself. In other words, if we were to see God behind all the events of life and would accept everything that happens, and will, everything as his will for us at that precise moment, then every moment of our life would be a kind a kind of communion with God, a living union of love between us and him. And that's why he used this word, a sacrament of the present moment, that you're uniting ourse- yourself to God moment by moment. That's almost like communing with God. That's really what the whole purpose of, of the blessed sacrament and, and is— unite yourself to god's will is ultimately that's the essence of love and holiness so when god uh when our lord jesus christ who's present uh body blood soul and divinity in the in the blessed sacrament when we receive him in holy communion the the purpose of holy communion is one to increase sanctifying grace in our soul which is participation in the divine nature but to you to uh strengthen your bond of union the, of your will with god 's will that 's really the heart of charity to increase that bond that I am so united to god 's will more than when I was before um, but in a in a in an analogous uh sense we do that you 're supposed to live that communion every day by willing and accepting everything that god Allows happen to you. Remember, we have to uh, uh, do what God wants and want what God does to us, um, and and by that we grow spiritually and uh, um, we grow in sanctity. That's really what made the saints is that they accepted moment by moment what God did to them, uh, and they abandoned themselves with childlike simplicity to whatever God was acting in them. I, I think this it's it's profoundly simple. In one way. Uh, and when, we, when this dawns on us, all life is seen in a different light. We realize that we're, in a sense, bathed in the action of God. And as a spiritual director, Abbot John Chapman, a uh, Benedictine abbot, he died in 1933, uh, he always tried to lead others uh, to the practice of the sacrament of the present moment as uh, a powerful means of maintaining deep peace of soul and growing in true spiritual attitude spirituality. And all throughout his spiritual letters, which I highly recommend, again, uh, you see the sacrament of the present moment uh, being presented to souls. And I wanted to quote a few of his excerpts. They're very short. Again, I highly recommend his spiritual letters. it's, It's so practical. He says this, quote, every circumstance of our life is a means of getting to heaven and is a part of God's providence, so that at every moment we are in touch with God, We we need not see him as we feel his hand in every outward thing and in every inward non-willful feeling, and even in our will as well, when it is good. Only this is a truth to be acted upon rather than meditated upon. Elsewhere, he wrote, when we realize that God is not only in every external event, but in every internal event, I mean in every involuntary feeling we have, we realize that at every moment of life, We are in touch with God, and his hand is on us. We have only to be carried in his arms. Our one care must be not to jump out of them and try to walk alone. In fact, we are always in touch with God. Everything that happens is his arrangement, his providence, and a means of grace, a push onto heaven. Only most people try to go their own way and thus put obstacles to God's action. Once you give yourself wholly to him you will realize that he is always working outside you by circumstances and inside you by your thoughts and distractions, unless you resist. This is the way of pure love. It is very dark and painful on the surface, but there is something underneath which is really strength and peace. One lives in perpetual doubt and ignorance what God's will is going to be, but not what it is at this individual moment. That we always know, because it is. Therefore, the whole point of the sacrament of the present moment is that it is a covering yet revealing sacrament. It is God's action, God's will, or it is God. All my duty is to keep in touch with him at this moment as this moment passes into the next. My obvious duty may be at this moment to consider what comes next and not to know. The only thing that matters is now. I mean that we have to be exactly in God's will united actively and passively with what he has arranged for us to be and to do, so that at every moment we are quite simply in touch with God, because we are to wish to do what he wants of us, and to be as we find he wishes us to be. There is no other perfection than this. Tomorrow and yesterday are quite of secondary importance. And also in regard to prayer, he says this, Don't ask or worry about any kind of prayer or recollection or union, but wish for exactly what God provides you at any given moment. Take no thought for tomorrow. Trust in God. You are at each moment in touch with Him through all the arrangements of His providence. And these include your own state and your own feelings at the moment that you are trying to unite yourself with His will. If you do your best, at the moment, the result, however dry, weak, unsatisfactory, is just exactly what God wants you to have here and now. Worry is useless and harmful. Try to be absolutely at peace because you are satisfied with God as he is with you at this moment. So again, he's just emphasizing we have to live in the present moment because the past doesn't exist. The future doesn't exist. The present only exists. And it is part of God's providence, a revelation of what God wants for you at that moment. So if God wants you at that moment to be dry in prayer, you simply have to say, I trust in that, I trust in Him, I abandon myself to Him, I unite myself with with God right now, even though I don't feel any consolation from it. So this applies to every aspect of our spiritual life. And in the next episode, I'll I'll give a kind of a, a method or somewhat of a technique to to put this into practice, and, and what's called the the high point of the soul, the apex of the soul, which many spiritual writers have written about, uh, Saint Francis of the Sales and others, um, the high point of the soul, um, where you um, you know don't live on the the emotional uh, plane, uh, you, you, and then you can truly put into practice this abandonment of divine providence. But we'll get into that next episode. One of my all-time favorite quotes from St. Teresa of the Child Jesus is what she had to say about living moment by moment. This is really the secret of sanctity. She said, if I did not simply live from one moment to the next, it would be impossible for me to keep my patience. I can see only the present, I forget the past, and I take good care not to think of the future. We get discouraged and feel despair because we brood about the past and the future. It is such folly to pass one time's fretting instead of resting quietly on the heart of Jesus, unquote. I don't know about you, Nicholas, but I think uh, anytime I find myself, uh, you know, disturbed or lose my peace of soul, it's always be one of those things you're worrying about the past, or you're worrying about the future. Um, you're, you're continually going over what happened, oh, I shouldn't have done that, or or this, that, the other thing, or or you're worrying about what's going to happen in the future, and you don't even know if it's going to happen at all. Uh, but you, you the, the present goes fleeting from you, and the present was the only time that you could uh, actually do something about it. You can only uh, show your love for God in the present. Uh, the past doesn't exist anymore. The future doesn't exist. The only thing that exists for us is the present, moment by moment.
0: Yeah, I I would agree with that. And uh, it's interesting, as you were saying that, I was thinking, you know, even when like really bad things have happened what When you're in the moment and just kind of dealing with it as it comes, it's never as bad as when you're um
1: right.
0: when you're worrying about these things or thinking oh what if what if this happens or what if that happens but when it actually does happen, you usually at least for myself right. I find, well it's just happening, you just kind of have to go with it
1: yeah. well well i think yeah i i I think you're right, and that's what 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 adds difficulty is that you not only suffer what you're suffering at the time, but you think of how you're going to deal with it tomorrow and the next week like if the car breaks down you're already worried about next week mm-hmm. how am i going to get to work next week well you're not in next week yet don't worry about it like worry about the present moment um this is what our lord said sufficient for the day is the evil thereof you know the day's own evil is is enough to handle um you can't carry tomorrow's cross with today's grace and god only gives you grace for the present He doesn't give you grace for the past, it's over with. He doesn't give you grace for the future, but He he gives you sufficient grace for the present moment, for the present cross. Um, That's all we have to deal with right now. Of course, we we have to provide for the future, and you have to do those things. Um, You know, it doesn't mean when we abandon ourselves completely to God, it doesn't mean that uh, you can sit down and twiddle your thumbs and expect God to do everything for us. God gave us. Um, I remember my older brothers uh, uh, growing up. Um, I would ask them to do something for me, and and they, one of them would say to me, you, "God gave you two feet in a heartbeat. You go do it." Uh, and and I just, you know, um, I refer, you know, really, God gave us two feet in a heartbeat for a reason. They had to use them, He gave us a brain. He gave us power. Uh, he's not going to build that brick wall without us actually mixing the cement and putting it brick by brick up. Uh, It it doesn't mean just because we're abandoned to God doesn't mean that you can be careless about sin and personal faults. Um, You have to always strive to overcome our faults and sins and repair past mistakes and negligences, and we have to also prudently plan for the future. But as for anxiety about the past or the future, absolutely not. No good, no true good is ever accomplished by losing our peace of soul, no matter how Awful the current situation is, or how great the mistake or sin was in the past. Don't lose your peace of soul. Uh, Saint Francis de Sales says we have to repent, but repent with peace. Uh, Repent with peace. Our Lord says, um, "Which of you, by taking thought, can add to a stature one cubit?" How true those words are. Words that we we have to often remember. If all our worry and anxiety could not even change us physically in so insignificantly a small way of making us a little taller. And why should we fool ourselves into thinking that all the worry in the world is going to change things outside of us that are out of our control? Um, you know, Our Lord never told us to imitate the birds of the air uh, um, and the lilies of the field, but it's simply reminding us that if God takes care of all these other things, He's going to take care of us. Our, our Creator wants each of His creatures to function according to His own particular nature, and God so willed that we, we are intended to work and provide for our necessities, as the old saying goes we have, we must work as everything depended upon us but know that ultimately everything depends upon God. Um he just doesn't want to us us to be so absorbed in this preoccupation of earning and maintaining uh, you know earthly riches and things. Um we have to be prudent but then abandon everything else to God. Um that that's basically that's that's just the gospel.
0: Um Uh-oh. As often happens on this show, Father, and part of why I'm so quiet all the time is you've anticipated <laughs> uh, something I was going to ask. But I wonder if I could just expand a little bit on that. Okay. As you're saying that it's, it seems that the, the abandonment to divine providence is mostly about not worrying, but we still have to do things. Because unfortunately, I think right. I see a lot of people that they tend to maybe fall into the I think, the temptation of what you... Described perhaps as quietism, where sometimes mm-hmm. there, there can be—I mean, it's not really too much abandonment to divine providence. I guess it's just not taking it in the correct way. Where you see people, and I'm—I'm uh, I'm just trying to think of some examples, but where you know people would just say, "Oh, well, it's God's will, so I'm not going to do anything." I mean, you know, sitting there not even eating it would be an extreme example. People realize they need to eat, right. but right. Um, you know, something a bit more subtle might be. Uh, maybe uh, you know they they want to uh, go out with uh, someone and they don't have a chaperone available. And I've seen lots of people say that, oh, you know, chaperones that those are bad because you're saying that you're you can control things. God's not in control. You need to be trustful to divine providence and uh, um, <laughs> you know go on that date without a chaperone. Um, right. Or if you live in an area where you have no sacraments and. Maybe if you looked into it, I mean, obviously you wouldn't always have a, uh, it wouldn't always work out. But maybe if you looked into it, it, would be possible. But you don't even look into moving closer to sacraments because, well, it's God's will that I'm in this area where there's no sacraments. So uh, I, I'm not going to, you know, under, undertake. Uh, I'm not going to second guess him by, uh, you know, by relocating somewhere where they are. Mm-hmm. So, you know how so. Uh, I wonder if you could comment a bit on that and how, how you reconcile trustful surrender to divine providence or abandonment to divine providence, but also, you know,
1: our duty to to still do things. I mean, I think you've already talked about that a little bit. Right. But, yeah. yeah. Well, it just comes down to his providence. Uh, in his providence, he gave us providence. He gave us—we uh, um, have to be provident uh, for all, our own salvation. Uh, he, Like I said, he gave to—, to feet in a heartbeat, he gave you a will, he gave gave you an intellect uh, to know his will, to learn his will, Um, and it takes a lot of effort. Uh, um, Abandonment to divine providence, as I said at the beginning, is not truly, literally speaking, a passive virtue, uh, because it it takes a lot of activity. It takes a conformity of your will with God's will, and uh, sometimes it's God's will that you resist a temptation, or it's always God's will that you resist a temptation. So, you know, maybe you didn't plan on having that temptation, but you have to, you have to, you know God's will, and you have to go with the flow. You have to know, you have to exert effort, uh, and that's part of God's providence for you, is that you have to exert effort in this time. So, like those situations that you you brought up, we have to uh, do what is necessary for our spiritual well-being, and not be fatalist, not be, oh, what what will be, what will be, it doesn't matter. uh, Because... Yeah, yes, ultimately that will be part of God's providence for you, but you won't like the outcome, because you will be spiritually harmed by it, and uh, ultimately you may lose your soul, ultimately. Again, that may be part of God's providence in one way, but it's part of your choice. As I said, from all eternity, God has taken our choices into consideration. And uh, although God's not, you know, God's not going to uh, lose his happiness... Uh, from our, you know, he doesn't gain or lose any happiness. He is infinitely happy, but we can gain or lose happiness and holiness uh, if we jeopardize our salvation. Uh, So, yes, uh, we have to be totally abandoned to God's providence. Remember, St. Paul says, for those who love God, all things work together for the good. It doesn't say anywhere in Scripture, for those who do not love God. It doesn't quite say—it uh, uh, doesn't give us uh, enough info of how providence works in their regard. We all know that, that providence will work for the glory of God, uh, but we also know that not everyone is saved. Not everyone—some uh, people reject God, some people are damned. So it didn't work for their good, uh, because they ultimately do not love God. They've chosen something else other than God. Um, so I think perhaps that is a warning— uh, to us that um, you know uh, god 's providence is that we have a duty uh, to maintain our spiritual well being and to seek out the sacraments um, and to do our, our our sincere best and after we have have done our best um, then then for the rest sometimes it's not we it's, life is not always ideal you know you 're going to be searching for the mass you may not find one close enough to you, and suppose you can 't move at that time just you you do the best you can. Again, you do the best and leave the rest to God. Um, I think that's uh, that's the rule of thumb. So basically, this uh, this abandonment really applies to absolutely everything in our life. And you know, I didn't go over you know every different uh, you know situation we can be in. A lot of the the books on divine providence they talk about. Abandonment and sickness and abandonment and health and abandonment, you know, and, and everything. But it, we, we, we know that. We, we, it applies to everything, even to death. It, it applies to the time and manner of our death. Uh, Abbot Chapman always insisted on this unconditional abandonment to divine providence, as I said. And on the last day of his life, when one of his monks uh, was administering the last sacraments to him, uh, he was reminded of this teaching of, of his, of unqualified acceptance of God's will especially in regard to our death. And after a long silence, uh, the habit replied, yes, that is true, quite true. If God sees best for me to die, what in the world should one live wish to live for? I think that's an important thing. A lot of people, they're afraid. We mustn't be afraid to trust God in the, in the time and manner of our death. The only thing we should pray for is, is uh, provided death. We want we wanted to be in the state of grace, that's what we pray for. If God wants to take us quickly, if God wants to have a long, drawn-out illness in our regard, we have to abandon ourselves completely to Him. Let Him do what is best for us. If He wants to take us quickly, then so be it. We just pray to be in God's grace and leave the rest to Him. Why would you want to live longer than God wants us to live? We, we don't want that. Uh, we shouldn't want that. You, you see, so many people—they're—they're they're concerned about the end times, the end days, and uh, the apocalypse. And I have to build a—you a, a, know—a a bomb shelter and and have all this food supply. Yes, it's good to provide for yourself, but don't worry. If 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 a nuclear explosion happened uh, next to you, glory be to God. God, that was God's will for you—that you—that you were—that you, that you, were, you died in that. That you that you, you simply you provide, but don't worry. Don't worry about it. You you do what is necessary to, to maybe take care of your family, but don't lose your peace of soul over it. Don't think that the most important thing in your life is simply maintaining and surviving physically. The most important thing in your life is to grow spiritually and to um, uh, unite yourself with God's will. I see this where people are so worried about the, the so-called three days of darkness, which I... I I don't know what to think about that. I have my doubts whether that is a, an actual uh, authentic event or prophecy. Everyone's worried. All the three days of darkness, you need this, you need that, and you can't be caught outside or you're going to die, and they're worried about this. Well, if God wants you to be caught outside and died, uh, then, then glory be to God. Uh, abandon yourself completely in that regard. If you are meant to survive, then things will work out. If it happens suddenly and you, you end up dying, and that applies to everything in our life. I don't know if I'm going to live through tonight. I could die during the night. I could die tomorrow. Um, you simply be in a state of grace, make an act of contrition, receive the sacraments as frequently as you can, and then leave the rest to God. If God wants to take you early or late or whatever, Dei uh, he says, let us accept all from the hand of our good Father, and He will give us in peace in the midst of the greatest disasters of this world, which pass away like shadows. In proportion to our abandonment and confidence in God, will our lives be holy and tranquil? Also, where, there's, where this abandonment is neglected, there can be no virtue, no perfect rest. So if you want peace, you have to just abandon yourself to God. And realize that everything that happens to you is a grace. It's a means. The St. Therese of the Child Jesus says, everything is a grace. And when she said everything, she meant everything. Again, I, I, we have to close, and I want to close with this. Two points uh, is that um, St. Francis de Sales had this great maxim. He said, trust the past to the mercy of God, the present to his love, and the future to his providence. Mm-hmm. And that sums up everything. And to mm-hmm. close, I wanted to just read this pr- a prayer that was inspired by uh, the works of St. Augustine. And uh, I'll just read this to close. Oh, my God, I leave myself entirely in my hands. Turn and turn again this mass of clay as a vessel that is fashioned in the potter's hand. Give it shape, then break it if thou wilt. It is thine, it has nothing to say. Enough for me that it serves all thy designs, that nothing resists thy good pleasure for which I was made. Ask, command, what wouldst thou have me do? What wouldst thou have me not to do? Lift it up, cast down in persecution in consolation in suffering. Intent upon thy work, good for nothing. I can do no more than repeat with thy holy mother, be it done unto me according to thy word. Give me that love which is beyond all loves, the love of the cross, not those heroic crosses with the glory that might foster self-love, but those ordinary crosses which we bear with so much distaste, those daily crosses with which our life is strewn and which at every moment we encounter on our way through life, contradictions, neglect, failures, opposition, false judgments, the cold or impulsiveness of some, the rebuffs or contempt of others, bodily infirmities, spiritual darkness, silence, and interior dryness. Only then will thou know that I love thee, even though I neither know nor feel it myself, and that is enough for me. And another great quote, <laughs> and
0: a great place for us to, to leave off, Father, and, and we'll as mentioned at the beginning of the show, we'll be picking up again with uh, this same topic again next month. So, um, uh, as always, I would just remind listeners that we're always open to questions, and perhaps knowing that we're going to be continuing on this same topic uh, next month, if there is any questions that came to your mind while you are listening to the show, we'd be more than happy to hear from you. And uh, you can uh, send your questions by sending them to Spiritual Life, at truerestoration.org That's uh, all one word S-P-I-R-I-T U-A-L-L-I-F-E at truerestoration.org and uh, I'll pass along any questions uh, that you have to, to Father and uh, we'd be more than happy to talk about them on our next episode. Of course, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh reminder: remind our listeners Father Bernard, is a uh, Benedictine priest, but he's uh, currently uh, taking care of us at uh, Our Lady of Victory Church in London, Ontario. And if you want to contact him directly or if uh, you want to send him a note of appreciation or uh, a, don- a donation of some sort to show your uh, appreciation, he can be reached at Our Lady of Victory Church 1715 <laughs> Dundas Street East, London, Ontario, uh, Canada. Father, uh, thanks again for joining us. I'll-, I'll let you be on your way because uh, i course I know there's always lots of work to be done.
1: Thank you Nicholas and and, uh, God bless you and again I want to thank everyone who have sent their uh, any uh, messages of uh, appreciation of the show and and any donations. I really appreciate all the help um, and support. Well thank you Father.
0: So uh, all of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work is prayer. Uh, Please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. Uh, For The Restoration, I'm Nicholas Wansbutter. Uh, This has been an episode of uh, The Spiritual Life on The Restoration Radio Network. Uh, Thank you again.